Good evening. Welcome to our uh, first Wednesday in a long time. We, we used to do these monthly gatherings quite a while ago, probably like six years ago. So it's kind of a, a newer thing for us. But I felt that we wanted to take some time to look at spiritual gifts, and I didn't really know if Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings were quite appropriate because the whole gamut of folks that come on a Sunday morning, some of them are seekers and brand new, and all this Christianity stuff is new to them, and there are others who are more mature. And so have to really cater a Sunday service to where you serve kind of the milk and the steak. So... This is more steak. If you need it a little bit more like milk, I'll chew it up for you a little bit and then phone. (laughs) Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time where we can gather in your name and in your love. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us to guide us. And as we look into spiritual gifts in this next season. And tonight, as we look at that first gift mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, that gift of wisdom, how we need that. So Lord, when we go through this teaching, may you already be working in the hearts and minds of the people here. And Lord, as we go into that time of worship, that you would also be prompting people and and giving them these words of wisdom to share with your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin by looking at 1 Corinthians 12. That's where we'll be uh, camping out for quite a while, and we'll introduce the spiritual gifts there. And I'm just going to do an introduction, and then we're going to look at that first gift, the gift of wisdom tonight as well. So starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The Apostle Paul wanted the church to be informed about spiritual gifts. Paul was concerned that the followers of Jesus be informed and aware of spiritual truths, that church history wasn't just all about facts, but there was a spiritual significance in what happened in getting the gospel to Gentiles, you and me. Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it reads, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. He wanted us to know that the Exodus was more than the Israelites' freedom from slavery. Their freedom was also a depiction of the church's freedom from the slavery of sin that we've been delivered from through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-4. through 4. For I do not want you to be unaware Brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized with Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Paul desired for the church to be aware, informed, and knowledgeable about spiritual truths, which included that of spiritual gifts. Now, the odd thing about this is that every place that you find that Paul has written about being informed or aware, we find that the church is very uninformed and unaware of those things even to this day. Right? So you take, for example, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
how the church is uninformed and unaware of these things. And I think the churches have been uninformed about this since the time Paul wrote this until the present day. Because if we look at the two extremes of this matter, I think there's unawareness on both sides of this issue. Right? There are those who believe that the gifts of the Spirit are not presently available to us. They're called cessationists. That the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. And then you look at the other side and you find that there are people who have done some abusive things or taken things to an extreme and with these practices of their so-called gifts, but they're not practicing them in, in biblical ways. And so you have these two extremes and our church does not subscribe to either one. Now, when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, they struggled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is partly why he wrote this letter. There were abuses in the way that they practiced the gifts of the Spirit. So obviously the gift of the Spirit manifested in Corinth, which tells us that the gifts of the Spirit were not just for the early church in the book of Acts, but also the Corinthian church. Paul wouldn't need to address abuses if there were no gifts. Or he would have just wrote, stop fooling yourselves, there are no gifts. Right? You just stop, stop this madness. But thank God he used Paul to write this letter because it informs us that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today and it lays out for us the proper use of the gifts of the Spirit. So my hope is that we biblically inform the church about spiritual gifts. That's a key part of why we're doing these Wednesday nights. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Now the psalmist wrote in Psalm 135 about how people create idols. It's in verses 15 through 18. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Pagans make gods to be like themselves. They create their own gods. So essentially, creating a god less than himself and elevating that person who created that false god to the elevation or the status of a god. But it's a made-up god that that pagan becomes more and more like. The pagan god cannot speak, so the pagan does not have absolute truths to speak of. The pagan god cannot see. So the pagan, in becoming more like their idol, cannot see and becomes blind to the things of God. The made-up god cannot hear. So the pagan becomes like their god and can't hear the voice of God and the things of the Spirit. The made-up god can't breathe. So the pagan who becomes more like their god can't live and dies. So the person who has made up their own god becomes like the god that they've created and if you ever wondered why things have not gotten better in our world, ethically, morally, legally, spiritually, it is because the world has been worshiping gods that they've created, gods that have no voice, no perception, no life, and people have become like their gods. The prophet Isaiah addressed how foolish people can be in their idol worship in Isaiah 44, verses 13 through 20. The carpenter stretches a line, he marks it out with a pencil, he shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. 
He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak, and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it, and it's satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is their knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? So you see how idol worship doesn't make any sense. It's completely irrational to believe that a tree cut down from human hands is used for fuel for a fire to warm oneself and then to cook and then to later be worshipped as a god. And essentially, isn't that money in our modern day world? Right? Back in Isaiah's time, it was the actual figurines that they were making or actual little statues or whatever it is. But in today's world, we kind of like, oh, how foolish those people are. I can't believe that they would make those things and worship those things. Isn't money made out of wood? And don't we kind of put faces on it too? Yes, we also put in God we trust. But, but maybe they should make that into in small g God we trust, Right? But it's made of trees. It's made of man. It's used to fuel our lifestyles. You know, it pays for utilities and food and all that kind of stuff. But just to be worshipped as a god also. So many people worship money. Habakkuk wrote in chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. Yet this is the foolishness of men, making idols out of wood, metal, stone. And in times past, humanity has constructed images out of those materials, but has society really progressed all that much because we still worship these idols? They just look different. And Paul wrote about this in Corinthians, that worshiping things that can't speak, hear, feel, breathe. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, back there, and we'll take a look at verses 2 and 3. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. 
And that's the glorious work of the Holy Spirit, who informs us of our relationship with God so that we cry out, Dad, Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, there are varieties of gifts, of service, of activities, but it's the same Spirit, same Lord, same God. In the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes of the variety of gifts of the Holy Spirit beginning in verse 8. Paul wrote out this list giving us these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, and at the end of the chapter there are more gifts of the Spirit. Now keep in mind that the spiritual gifts are not meant to compete with one another. Rather, they are to work harmoniously with one another to see the oneness of the body of Jesus. Not just for our church, Regeneration Church, but for the body of Christ. That we're not in competition with others in the body of Christ. See, we have one enemy. And it's not with one another in our church. And it's not with other churches. Our enemy loves to bring division among the body of Jesus Christ. And that division, that discord is so damaging to the church. And this is where the utterance of wisdom, which we're going to get to shortly, it can bring unity. Our church, along with other churches, needs to be together in our desire and our efforts to bring people into the kingdom of God, to bring them into an awareness of Jesus and what he has done for them as sinners, why he did that, to help them understand their need to submit their lives to Jesus. Now, if our church is the church blessed with the opportunity to minister to people, to bring them to Jesus, amen. That's great. But if it's not, let's pray that it's happening in other churches because it doesn't just have to happen here. Right? Because we're all in this together as the church of Jesus Christ. We're not going to be able to minister to everyone's needs. We don't fit everyone's needs. And I can't either. I have my strengths and I have my weaknesses. And so does our church. So we're going to be better at ministering to some people more than others. And we've been given a different variety of gifts, services, activities to bring people out of darkness of sin and into light the light of Jesus. So are we going to be effective in reaching all people? I would hope so, but probably not. It probably does not work that way. And even though it is the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God, we're going to reach different people differently. And because it is the same Spirit, there will be a decency and an order in how the gifts of the Spirit are exercised for example, when I'm exercising my gift of teaching by teaching the Word of God, the Spirit will not disrupt Himself by moving someone within this context to disturb the teaching with, say, a prophetic word or a word of wisdom or a gift of tongues. He will not disturb Himself. It is in decency and order. The gifts are manifested by the same Spirit. Or let's take a look at the different gifts of administration. 
Some have been given the gift of prophets, the gift of apostles, the gift of pastor-teacher, the gift of helps, or the gift of governments. And all these different gifts of administration or offices in the church. But it's the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. So all these different gifts work harmoniously with one another, not in competition with one another. It's the same Spirit working. It's the same Lord we are serving. Even though He is served in different ways because we have different gifts. Some find worshiping God in a liturgical setting the way that works best for them. While some find worshiping God in a more charismatic setting is what works for them. Who are we to judge that? Let's not judge that. Let's understand that they are different and the experiences minister to people more effectively, whichever way they go. Right? We're serving the same God, even though we may be serving Him differently. It's the same Spirit who loves all of us. He's working in those who prefer liturgy, and He's working in those who prefer hyper-Pentecostalism. Right? So very different ways to love the same God. And let's not get confused that we're serving the same Lord. So, so let's recognize our different expressions and realize we love the same God. We're, we're not serving a different God from the liturgical church or from the charismatic church. He's just wearing different clothes, I guess. But Paul wrote in Romans chapter 14.4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In Luke chapter 9, verse 49, John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Now, how did Jesus respond to John's comment there? It's in verse 50 in Luke 9. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. So you see how we can be so judgmental of a lot of things, of everything. One of those things is worship styles, right? I can't believe they're liturgical. Oh, oh those hyper-Pentecostal, oh, they're crazy. But we can't judge how people experience God in a church service. And you see how the disciples were so judgmental about others who served Jesus when it's the same Jesus that was served. We serve the same Lord, and God loves them the same. The Lord is the one to make them stand, and it's not up to us to make them fall. And I pray that we are supportive of the different works that are serving our God, because the gifts of the Spirit, they, they never conflict. All of the gifts of the Spirit harmoniously complement each other, and so let us remember that within our church and outside of our church, that there's a wide variety of gifts, services, activities, and it's the same God. And even within the same gift, the gift may have a different manifestation. The gifts of the Spirit don't always manifest themselves in the same way, even though it's the same gift. Because how they operate, they might look different. God has His way for the gift to manifest in people. And, and since we're all different people with different personalities and characteristics, the gifts of the Spirit will manifest differently in each of us. The Spirit is interpersonally working with each one of us on an individual basis. And He knows all about us. He knows how to work with each one of us, but He is the same Spirit. So don't try to be someone else. 
When someone is experiencing a certain gift, and don't try to emulate or, or mimic that. And it's the same thing for our church that we don't try to duplicate another church. Our church has its own personality and we are our own individuals. We have our individuality. So we don't have to try duplicating what others have done by looking at those methods or what worked for them and seeing those things out. God is not like crochet, right? He doesn't fit into a pattern. He's the one in control of our church, in control of our individual spiritual gifts. So allow him to work in your life. And the way he'll work in your life will be different from someone else's life, but it will be for all of our common good. All of us together. Chapter 12, verse 7, 1 Corinthians, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The gifts of the Spirit aren't given for us to enjoy individually. They're given for us to share. Right, so they're given for the common good. They're given for the profit of the entire church, for the entire church to gain through the manifestation of the respective gifts of the Spirit, except for one. Except one. The gift of tongues. That is the only spiritual gift for one's own edification and their own profit. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. So all of the spiritual gifts intend to edify the church except that one. But even that one, Paul instructs that that gift is also to be used to build up the church, even though you can use it for self-edification. Because in the very next verse, in chapter 14, 1 Corinthians, verse 5, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So we are informed that the gift of tongues is in one's personal devotion as a gift that builds up that person in their devotional life. And it's the only gift for the edification of that individual while the other gifts are for the church, to build up the church. And we'll get to the gift of tongues later on when we get to that section. And, and we'll gain more understanding about that gift. So that's the introduction of our spiritual gifts. Let's jump into our first spiritual gift in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. The utterance of wisdom. The gift of wisdom. The gift of the utterance of wisdom. And then the next gift you find is in verse 8 also. It's the utterance of knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are two entirely different and distinct gifts. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have written that. He wouldn't have separated them like that. There's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. And we'll talk about the utterance of knowledge next month. We're just going to talk about wisdom, but I'm just going to summarize knowledge with this, that it's the process of gathering facts, of gathering information, whereas wisdom is the correct use of those facts, of that information. So for example, you see this cute little cat-looking thing that's black, but it has this awesome white stripe on its back. Knowledge tells you that that thing will spray you with something very stinky. And knowledge tells you that it looks cute. Right? And factually, it, it's awesome. Wisdom tells you 
don't go near it. Wisdom tells you, don't pet it. Right? Wisdom tells you, go away from the stinky cat. And so we've all met people who are incredibly knowledgeable, but they're stupid. <laughs> right? Haven't we met those people? They're not wise, but they have a lot of information. They know a lot of information, but they're actually quite foolish. They're, they're kind of dumb. And they can be book smart, but they lack other smarts, such as street smarts. Right? They can know everything in a university setting, and they can know everything in a textbook, but you put them out here in East Oakland, you won't see them again. Right? So there's differences, and we need both knowledge and wisdom. You don't want a surgeon operating on you who doesn't have knowledge, right? But you also don't want the surgeon who doesn't have wisdom in situations that arise from the surgery that weren't in the textbook, that he can't kind of think wisely about how to handle a circumstance that wasn't in the book. So knowledge without wisdom and wisdom without knowledge, those are not good combinations. Those aren't good things. And some of the most knowledgeable people are not the wisest. They can know everything in the Bible, but they don't apply it. But they can tell you who's who. They can tell you the genealogy. They can tell you all these kind of stuff. But they don't apply it. They are not wise. They know a lot, but they are acting foolish. This is an example. Healthcare workers who smoke. Right? I mean, they all know how bad smoking is for their health. But you go to Kaiser and they have this section where people are smoking. I'm like, what in the world? They have all the knowledge. So, so knowledge, education, science does not equate to wisdom. And once people begin to dishonor God, they become fools. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Dishonoring God leads people to become fools. It leads God to allow these people to live with their debased minds. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false sign wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God allows those who reject the truth of Jesus to believe the lies rather than the truths. Their beliefs are given to their delusions and Satan is allowed to deceive them. So when we refuse to receive God's truth, we don't have wisdom. We can't receive wisdom. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Many people seek knowledge in our world, but they do not seek wisdom. Right? They're, they want to learn science to prove creation is not true. 
They want to learn all these knowledgeable things to disprove other things. And they want to gain knowledge, but they are not seeking wisdom. The real thing to seek is wisdom. Because knowledge without wisdom is folly. We need wisdom. And not just to kind of accumulate it and to bank it. We need it because it is of Jesus. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Christ, in whom we are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is not something that we store and take from our own bank at will. Right? It is found only in Jesus, and the utterance of wisdom is the gift from the Holy Spirit that manifests when it's needed and when significant choices need to be made. And there are numerous occurrences when the gift of wisdom manifests when we're not even conscious of it being exercised. There are times when situations arise that the gift of wisdom just comes out of people's mouths and the wise words spoken, they don't even know that they've spoken them. And sometimes we don't recognize this gift of wisdom in operation when the supernatural gift of wisdom is at work in the natural, in in normal circumstances, and we don't even know this. And just looking at my own spiritual journey, my own story, I can definitely see God guiding me in these normal, natural situations of my life where I didn't recognize God leading me until after the fact. Until I looked back and went, oh, wow. Look. But looking back at various circumstances in my life, I could definitely see Him guiding me through situations when gifts such as the utterance of wisdom was in operation in my life, even though I didn't know it was working at the time. When I was given wisdom by someone, or when someone was speaking those utterances of wisdom into my life. And there are times also where I've spoken things into people's lives. And I kind of wonder, I'm not that wise. How did I even know how to say that? That was good. And I really surprised myself. Like, where did I, I didn't read that anywhere. I didn't get that anywhere. Like, how did I know how to say that? And that was just God. Now, don't think that the gift of wisdom is just some New Testament gift, right? It's also found in the Old Testament. Last Sunday, you know, a few days ago, we started a series in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus is actually where wisdom was first mentioned. Exodus chapter 28, verse 3. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill. Now, the English word skill in that verse is the Hebrew word kokma. Kokma means wisdom in English. And so this verse is where God instructed Moses in the building of the tabernacle to work with those filled with the spirit of wisdom. And when we read on to Exodus chapter 31, verse 3, we find that word again, kokma, wisdom, again. I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability, kokma, and intelligence with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Now, you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, and this is what it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So we see the gift of wisdom imparted to Joshua by the laying of hands and we see that also in the New Testament as well in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 6 and 7 
For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. So the laying of hands. And it happened in the Old Testament, it happened in the New Testament to usher the gifts of the Spirit. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26, it's written, For to the one who pleases him, God has given him wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. We're given prophecy about Jesus in regards to wisdom in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him Jesus the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord now when do we see the gift of wisdom in Jesus there's a lot of examples, but we're just going to point out one gift of wisdom in Jesus when we look at Luke chapter 20, verses 20 through 26. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, and here's the gift of wisdom, show me your denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. And there you have the gift of wisdom as an example in Jesus Christ. And if we look back to the Old Testament, there's a famous story involving the wisdom of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were there in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I arose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, Because her heart yearned for her son, O oh my lord, Give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. 
Now earlier we went into an introduction of spiritual gifts where it was mentioned how division can be cured by wisdom. And we find this in Acts chapter 15 where division is cured by the gift of wisdom. See, some men came down from Judea to a Gentile church in Antioch. Antioch is in Asia Minor, it's in Turkey. And these men started to cause dissension amongst the believers. So these Judaizers told the Gentiles that unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you're not saved. And you can see how these guys do not want to be circumcised. These grown men do not want to be circumcised. And so there's this division. And so Paul and Barnabas were were sent to investigate, and they went back to Jerusalem to bring this matter up with the apostles and the elders. And so Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, they shared about their experiences with the Gentiles, but it wasn't until James spoke this utterance of wisdom that the division was no longer a division that he brought unity. And so you had all these wise people, all these elders, all these leaders of the church, but it wasn't until James spoke in Acts chapter 15, verses 19 through 22, that the division was squandered and he brought unity. And he said this, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. From an ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. It wasn't until James spoke that things calmed down. Right? James' gift of wisdom, the utterance of wisdom, put an end to that dissension, put an end to that discord. He brought unity to that division, and that's what wisdom does. Another example of division turned into unity is also found in Acts. It's in chapter 6. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And you see how the utterance of wisdom solved the division. It brought unity. It brought a really good solution And that's what the gift of wisdom does. It brings unity. It binds people together. And when division pops up in the church, this is the gift that we need. And it's important that the Holy Spirit gifts someone in the church for the edification, for the building of the church, the utterance of wisdom to bring unity within the church. And this unity was led by Stephen in Acts chapter 6. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they would not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so you see how wisdom is received by those in the church and those outside the church. The utterance of wisdom is well received by those inside the church who recognize the Holy Spirit. And they allow the Holy Spirit and that utterance of wisdom to bond them together, to put them into one accord. But if they are outside of the Holy Spirit, 
What is said, even though it is wisdom, is taken as foolishness, and the wisdom is not received by them. That's what happened to Stephen, and that's why he got stoned to death. Those people did not receive his wisdom. And we need to pray for each other to have wisdom. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So God wants to give us wisdom, knowing that what causes us to depend on ourselves? And the wisest thing for us to do is to ask for wisdom. People like Daniel were given wisdom when he asked God for it, such as the case when he sought to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Daniel chapter 5, verse 11. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And that wisdom of God is available to us. God will give it to us if we ask him for it. It is a gift he wants to give to us. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So this evening, the worship band is going to just play a couple songs. And then uh, during that time where we're just going to be silent, we're going to pray and we're going to ask God for wisdom. And if you are prompted by God to speak that for our church, please do. We'd love to hear that from you. Being that this is the first time, you're going to be really nervous, maybe, to even say anything, and even though God has put something in your mind, you're not going to want to say it. If that's the case, we have a table here, and we would like you to write it out, or draw it out, or if God puts a poem, or a picture, or whatever is in your head, we want to give you this venue to express that, not only just verbally, because if you're shy or your personality doesn't fit that, we want that to be expressed somehow for us to look into it. During this time also, we want to take more time in reflecting about communion. And on the screen there is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul writes about communion. And you can take time to meditate upon those verses before taking communion there and to, to think those things through. But as we prepare our hearts to ask God for the gift of wisdom, uh, the worship band can lead us in a couple songs before I'll just kind of facilitate that. Mm-hmm.